please turn with me in your Bibles to our text this morning, which comes from the book of Revelation, as we'll be looking at chapter 18 and verses 9 to 24. So, Revelation chapter 18 and verses 9 to 24. Revelation chapter 18, verses 9 to 24, brothers and sisters, and hear with me the reading of God's Word. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you. And all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels, with pearls. For in a single hour all this wealth has been laid to waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour, She has been laid to waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of the harpists and musicians and Flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of the lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth. And all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. Thus far is a reading of God's Word. Well, have any of you been so assured about something only to have the, the rug right, pulled out from underneath your feet. 
Right? Are there any of you here who have been so assured about something only to have the, that rug pulled out from underneath your feet? I'm sure that probably many of us have felt that before. That is kind of common to humanity, isn't it? I mean, take for example, I'm sure there's plenty of people in the world who have, who have gone off for a, a job interview. And they walk out thinking, oh, I really, I crushed this. No, I really crushed this. I'm, I'm going to get this job. There's, there's no way that I'm not getting this job. And you go home and you wait for the call. You get the call. You see the number on your caller ID and you get excited. You answer the phone call. And what happens? Right? They tell you we've, we've given the job to someone else. Or take this for example. I'm not sure maybe how many of you have experienced this when you were school children. Right? You remember those days in which you studied super hard for, an, for a test. Right? You dedicated yourself to a test because you wanted so desperately to get an A. And maybe you were the first one done with the test and you walk out thinking to yourself, I knew every answer. I certainly have got an A. And you come back the next day, the teacher hands you the test and what do you see? Uh, maybe a C or something like that. And in a moment, what happens? You're, you're crushed. right? You're stunned. You're like, what in the world went wrong? Or I ask you this, have, have there been any of you here who have at times in your life felt powerless against things that were occurring in your life. You felt powerless. Like you wanted to, to change something, but you were incapable of doing it. I think as parents, this is something that we experience often, isn't it? Right? Especially when our children are, are aching and, and ill and suffering. We so desperately want to alleviate them of their afflictions, but what we discover so often is that we are incapable of doing those very things. We do not have the, the power to do it. And it's really these feelings then, these same feelings that the inhabitants of Babylon are going to feel but at an exponentially higher level as Babylon crumbles right before their eyes. In that day, they will feel as if the, the rug has been pulled out from underneath their feet. They will be left crushed and stunned as everything that they have placed their hope upon Right, crumbles, disappears, sinks away, and all of the inhabitants of Babylon will be utterly powerless to do anything to stop it. But what they get is well deserved. Right, that's what we seen last week. Right, what Babylon gets is well deserved. Remember, Babylon is symbolic for the ungodly world, and this is what the ungodly world gets when they turn their back on God. Right, when they abandon God, something will fill God's place. And what has filled God's place in this world we have learned? Right? The devil and the demonic realm have come and filled God's place, have filled the hearts of men and women so that they would never turn back to God again. Right? And he uses the beast. Right? The devil that is. He uses the beast. He uses the false prophet. Right? He uses the woman who entices the inhabitants of Babylon and who seduces them right? with her promises of earthly comfort and pleasure and security. Right? You see, brothers and sisters, either you will be children of God in this world or you will be children of the devil. Right? Either you will serve God or you will serve the devil. And what we have learned is that the world, Babylon itself, is filled with people who serve the evil will of the devil. Even if that's not what they think that they are doing. Right? Remember, the devil is cunning, is he not? Right? He doesn't approach people and say, Hi, I'm the devil, and I want you to serve my evil will. 
Right? But rather, the devil is working behind the scenes, is he not? And he wants you to believe that the things that he suggests are good for you. Is this not the very same thing that he did with our first parents in the Garden of Eden? Right? Adam and Eve are commanded right, to obey God. But what do they do immediately? Right? They abandon God by flirting with the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And what happens? Satan here comes along and he swoops in that serpent of old only to make a suggestion to them that does not appear to be evil, does it? But appears to be good to them. Right? God says, in the day that you eat of the fruit of this tree, you shall surely die. Satan comes along and says, you certainly will not die. In fact, when you eat of it, what God knows is that you will become like Him. Right? Knowing good from evil. And so what are we told? Now, Eve sees that this tree of knowledge of good and evil is, is able to make one wise and so she sees it as something good, so she goes after it. Right? And she, she eats of the fruit of that tree. But she doesn't say in her heart, I'm abandoning God. Right? But by her actions, that's exactly what she demonstrates. That she has forsaken God in listening to the suggestions of the devil. And that is what we see in Babylon as well. For many of them, they don't say, I'm abandoning God. But in following the suggestions of Satan, they are abandoning God. They are forsaking His will in order to serve the will of the devil. And we've seen how the inhabitants of this world have become drunk right, by the cup that this woman has given. Right? They have become intoxicated by it. They have become intoxicated by what she offers them that appears to be good before their eyes. Right? Riches, glory, honor, prosperity. But in seeking these things out, the inhabitants of Babylon have forsaken God. They have abandoned God in pursuit for these things and in doing so, they have committed immorality with her. This is why, brothers and sisters, we've seen there was that call last week right, to come out of Babylon. That call to the saints. Why? Lest you partake of her sin and then you be destroyed along with her. And that's why God's calling all believers to come out of Babylon. Remember we said spiritually that is. right? Come out. Don't participate in her sin so that you would not be destroyed. Right? Because we were told last week, God remembers the iniquities of Babylon and He is coming again to repay her in equal measure to her deeds. And she glorified herself in her living. Right? Trusting in her own self-sufficiency. Filled up with pride. Thinking that there is nothing that anyone can do to stop me or take away what it is that I have accumulated. And as a result, what did we read in verse 8? For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day. Death and mourning and famine. And she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And now today, brothers and sisters, we see what is the response of those who failed to come out of Babylon, but who have loved her. Right, who have fornicated with Babylon and who have happily lived inside of her. And that reaction then can be found in verses really 9 to 19 in our text today. And in verses 9 to 19, what we see is this threefold lamentation on the part of those who have enjoyed her luxuries as now they behold everything that they set their hope upon and they see it all crumbling before their eyes. And so we'll consider then our first point this morning. 
verses 9 to 19, and we'll, we'll call this, po- this point misguided hope. Right? Misguided hope. Now, there are three groups that are highlighted for us in, through verses 9 to 19. Those are kings, right? those are merchants, and those are shipmasters. Right? We see that. Here in verse 9, we see the reaction of the kings first. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. Right? The next group is the, is the merchants' reaction that we see in verse 11. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn since no one buys their cargo anymore. In verse 15, the, the merchants of these wares who gain wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. The last group, and the final reaction we see of the, of the shipmasters in verse 17b and in verse 18. And all the shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all whose trade is of the sea stood afar off and they cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. Right? Those are the, the reactions that we see of these, of these three groups. This is their, their lamentation that we are told about that is described for us. Now, what we need to see in the text today, though, is that the destruction of Babylon is something that was foreshadowed for us in the Old Testament. In fact, it is the prophecy concerning the downfall of Tyre, which forms the model that we read in our text today for the prophecy concerning the downfall of Babylon. Right? So, the downfall of Tyre is the model for the downfall of Babylon. Right? Tyre's past downfall and the mourning over the economic demise of Tyre by its inhabitants was a foreshadowing of the the mourning that is going to take place after the last great economic system of the world sees its own downfall and collapse. Now you can read about the prophecy and the lament of Tyre in Ezekiel chapter 26 and 27. For our own purposes, we're not going to read all of that today, but I do want us to read portions of it so that you can see the, the case that I'm making here. So if you would, turn over with me to the, the book of Ezekiel together. And let's start at Ezekiel chapter uh, 26. Ezekiel chapter 26. And as we read portions out of Ezekiel 26 and 27, right, keep in the, in, the, in the back of your mind what we've just read in chapter 18 here. Let's start at Ezekiel chapter 26, verse 15 together, okay? Thus says the Lord God to Tyre, Will not the coastland shake at the sound of your fall? When the wounded groan, when slaughter is made in your midst, then all the princes of the sea will step down from their thrones and remove their robes and strip off their embroidered garments. They will clothe themselves with trembling, They will sit on the ground and tremble every moment and be appalled at you. And they will raise a a lamentation over you and say to you, How how you have perished, you who were inhabited from the seas, O city renowned, who was mighty on the sea. She and her inhabitants imposed their terror on all its inhabitants. Now the coastlands tremble on the day of your fall. And the coastlands that are on the sea are dismayed at your passing. For thus says the Lord God, when I make you a city laid waste, 
like the cities that are not inhabited. When I bring, when I bring up the deep over you and the great waters cover you, then I will make you go down with those who go down to the pit, to the people of old. And I will make you to dwell in the world below, among ruins from of old, with those who go down to the pit, so that you will not be inhabited. But I will set my beauty in the land of the living. I will bring you to a dreadful end, and you shall be no more. Though you be sought for, you will never be found again, declares the Lord. Now look over at verse 1 starting at chapter 27. The word of the Lord came to me, Now you, son of man, raise a lamentation over Tyre, and say to Tyre, who dwells at the entrances of the sea, merchant of the peoples to many coastlands, thus says the Lord God, O Tyre, you have said, I am perfect in beauty. Your borers are in the heart of the seas. Your builders made perfect your beauty. They made all of you, all your planks of fir trees from sinner. They took a cedar from Lebanon to make a mast for you. Of oaks of Bashan, they made your oars. They made your deck of pines from the coast of Cyprus, inlaid with ivory. A fine embroidered linen from Egypt was your sail, serving as your banner. Right? Blue and purple from the coast of Elisha was your awning. The inhabitants of Sidon and Arvad were your rowers. Your skilled men, O Tyre, were in you. They were your pilots. The elders of Gebal and her skilled men were in you, caulking your seams. All the ships of the sea with their mariners were in you to barter for your wares. Look down at verse 12. Tarshish did business with you because of your great wealth of every kind. Silver, iron, tin, and lead they exchanged for your wares. Javan, Tubal, Meshach traded with you. They exchanged human beings and vessels of bronze for your merchandise. From Beth to Gorma, they exchanged horses, war horses and mules for your wares. The men of Dedan traded with you. Many coastlands were, were your own special markets. They, they brought you in your payment ivory tusks and ebony. Syria did business with you because of your abundant goods. They exchange for your wares emeralds, purple, embroidered work, fine linen, coral, ruby. Judah and the land of Israel traded with you. They exchange for your merchandise wheat of minneth, meal, honey, oil, and balm. Damascus did business with you for your abundant goods because of your great wealth of every kind. Look finally then with me at verse 27. Your riches, your wares, your merchandise, your mariners and your pilots, your cockers, your dealers in merchandise, and all your men of war who are in you, with all your crew that is in your midst, sink into the heart of the seas on the day of your fall. And the sound of the cry of your pilots, the countryside shakes, and down from their ships come all who handle the oar. The mariners and all the pilots of the sea stand on the land, and shout aloud over you and cry out bitterly. They cast on their heads and wallow in ashes. They make themselves bold for you and put sackcloth on their waist. They weep over you in bitterness of soul with bitter mourning. In their wailing, they raise a lamentation for you and lament over you. Who is like Tyre? Like one destroyed in the midst of the sea. When your wares came from the seas, you satisfied many peoples. 
With your abundant wealth and merchandise, you enrich the kings of the earth. Now you are wrecked by the seas and the depths of the waters. Your merchandise and all your crew in the midst have sunk with you. All the inhabitants of the coastlands are appalled at you. And the hair of their kings bristles with horror. Their faces are convulsed. The merchants among the peoples hiss at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. You see how similar right, that is to what we read here in Revelation chapter 18, verses 9 to, to 24. Right? Tyre is said to have what in verse 33? Enriched the kings of the earth through their merchandise. Who are the first ones in our text to lament? It is the kings of the earth who cry out, who stand afar off in fear of her torment. Right? Saying, alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. Right? The kings and the, and the rulers of the earth who have embraced her right now cry out for her. Right? Because they're sad that, that they no longer are enriched by her and all that she has afforded to them. And as she is destroyed, what do they do? They, they stand afar off and trembling as she is judged. Who is next? Well, the, the merchants weep next. Why do they weep? Because all of their cargo is now gone. Right? They have lost the ability to, to make money any longer. And if you go back in your own spare time, which you'll see in verses 12 and 13 of our text, many of that merchandise that we read there is the same merchandise that we just read about in Ezekiel chapter 27 verses 12 to 25. And they mourn then knowing what we read here in verse 14. That the fruit for which you're so longed has gone from you. And all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. And those who, who bought and sold, we are told, weep in verse 17 as they realize, for in a single hour all that wealth has been laid to waste. And what was the cargo that was lost? It is all items that reflect what? The extravagance of living. That's what those things symbolize. And along with those items, what else do we see? We see slaves. Our human souls were likewise trafficked just like cargo. And as we read that, do we not see the, the great lengths that people will go in pursuit of their own pleasure and their own prosperity? Not only will they buy and sell and trade goods to prosper, they likewise will, will buy and sell and trade people. They don't care at, at whose expense their lavish living comes. Finally, then, it's the shipmasters we read about who trade on the sea, who, who cry out at the smoke of her burning. This we read in verse 19. As they say, Alas, alas! For the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth, for in a single hour she has been laid waste. Right? What do they cry out over? The fact that they no longer are able to become rich by her. Right? All that helped to make her rich is now perished. It is now gone. And so, our brothers and sisters, as we look at, at these three categories of folks, I think that there are, are really two things that we ought to draw out from this in their response. Right? The first thing that we ought to see after reading the response of these three groups, the, the kings and the merchants and the shipmasters, is this, is that all the while that this is going on, they are standing afar off. 
And all the while, this destruction is occurring. They are standing afar off. Right? There is nothing that any of them can do to stop it. Right? They are powerless in all of it. Right? They cannot stop what is occurring before their eyes. And that's kind of ironic. Right? Because Babylon, in verse 10, is called the, the great and mighty city. And yet it's this great and mighty city and all of its great and mighty inhabitants that can do nothing to stop its own destruction. That's because it's a temporary appearance of, of greatness and of strength. Right? It's not true greatness and strength. Right? That alone belongs to God, the one who, who stands over and above Babylon and the kings and the merchants and the shipmasters who has no equal and whose decree shall come to pass exactly how it is said, because he is omnipotent, unlike Babylon. Right? We see not even the demonic realm, not even the devil himself, can stop the destruction that is taking place. They can do nothing to stop it. And so then I want us all to see the, the crumbling and the sinking ground that the inhabitants of this earth have set their hope upon. Right? See the crumbling and the sinking ground that the inhabitants of this earth have set their hope upon. Right? They've set their hope upon temporary, finite things that will perish, that will fade away, that have no inherent greatness or power in them. All the things the people of the earth have set their hope upon are things that will sink away under the mighty hand of God. And so see that the hope of this world, brothers and sisters, is a crumbling and a collapsing hope. Right? The hope of this world is a collapsing hope, which is why Jesus then says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27 this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone, though, who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like the foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Right, this, what Jesus is saying here, is exactly what we see occurring in our text today. Right, those who have not placed their faith, hope, and trust in the rock, right, in the foundation of the faith, in the hope of our salvation, will be shook and surprised as their foundation sinks away and perishes. Right, but it should not surprise us, should it? Right, we realize that we are not to place our trust in created things because all created things shall perish. This is why it's utter folly to place our trust in our own works of righteousness as well because those too one day shall perish. Instead though, what are we called to do? To place our trust in, in our Creator God right? who is the Alpha and the Omega, the One who was and is and forevermore shall be, whose works will never perish never fade away, never collapse, never sink, whose works are, are perfect and of infinite value and worth, unlike yours and mine. The second thing that I want us to see then in the response of the kings and the merchants and the shipmasters is, is this. When they lament, 
when they cry out, when they mourn, they do so only for themselves. Right? Do we see that? As they cry out, as they mourn, as they lament, they do so only for themselves. They cry out because of what they are losing. That is why they are sad. They cry out because the, the pleasure they sought after in the world is perishing. Right? They mourn because the life they have dedicated them, themselves to acquire is now gone. Right? The riches that they have thirsted after are no more. And so, brothers and sisters, this ought to, to be an alarm going off. Right? Flashing lights before our very eyes this day to see that all that the world sets forth before your eyes and tells you these are things worthy of pursuing, we need to see that those things one day shall perish. Right? Those things will one day perish. This is why it's so important that we do not set our eyes upon the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Right? These are false riches. Right? These are false treasures set before you. So let us all see the importance of looking to things of eternal worth and eternal value. Right? Let us look to, to true riches. Those true riches that have come into the world. Those true riches that I declare to you today. The true riches of Jesus Christ. Right? The true riches of the Gospel. Right? The true riches of the Word of God which reveals to you God's will for your life. Let us set our hope and trust on these things, on He who came and died for you. Jesus Christ, who is God manifested in the flesh, who was vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed amongst the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. With Him, brothers and sisters, when you set your hope on Him, He will never disappoint you. He will never disappoint let the world then and the things of the world be esteemed of, of little worth and little value in comparison to that hope that is set before us in heaven. Right? Let, let the things of this world and the things of the earth be small to us. And let things eternal be everything to us. Let us not hope in things that perish, but let us hope in the promised benefits that Jesus Christ has secured for us through His life, death, and resurrection. But this is a hope that the unconverted person has no basis for. Right? These promises are only for those who have been granted faith in Jesus Christ. And so what we also must see is this, is that it is God and God alone who is the cause of your hope. Right? If, brothers and sisters, you hope here today, you hope because it's a hope provided to you by God. Right? It's a hope that is caused in you by God who gave unto you His Son that He might come and live and die and merit for you eternal life. He has given to you an, an everlasting hope. And for this, brothers and sisters, we ought to rejoice together. Right? Rejoice in all of the great and mighty deeds and works of our Lord. Rejoice in His work of redemption. But what it also means is that we are to rejoice in His judgments as well. For both bring glory to the Lord. And this is what we are called to do, we see in verse 20. To rejoice in what God shall do to Babylon. Look with me please at verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you 
against her. This leads us to our second and our final point this morning, which will be rejoicing in the permanence of God's judgments. Rejoicing in the permanence of God's judgments. Now let us see this. That our rejoicing is not happiness in others' misery. That is not what what we are called to do. We are not called to rejoice in the misery of others. In fact, brothers and sisters, we ought to desire the very opposite. Right? For those people who will one day see eternal destruction. What does Christ call us to do? To love those who hate us and and to pray for our enemies. Who is a greater example of this than Paul? Think about Romans chapter 9 and what Paul says about his kinsmen in verses 1 to 3. There Paul says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for your sake, brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Now what Paul's not saying is that he wishes to go back to his life as a persecutor of the church and a, and a blasphemer of God. Excuse me, we know that's, that's not what Paul's saying. For Paul loves Christ. And it would go against everything that Paul has written. And so what we need to see here is, is Paul's language is, is hyperbolic language. It's hyperbolic language. He, he uses his language to express his love for those that he knows are perishing. Right? His love was the, was, for them was such, right, knowing that they were going to die and perish, that he so desperately right, wanted them to know Christ. He so desperately wanted them to be saved. He so desperately wanted them to escape ruin that in a sense, he wanted to exchange his life for theirs. That's what he's saying there. But he's saying it hyperbolic language. And so we see, it's obvious that the call in verse 20 is not to rejoice in the eternal ruin of others. But if that's not the case, then what are we being called to rejoice over? Well, look with me please, starting at verse 21. For here we are, we are told why we ought to rejoice. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone, threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon the great be thrown down with violence and be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of the lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth. All the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. And so we see the reasons for her judgments is this, that all the nations were deceived by her sorcery. They were led into idolatry by her. In her was found the blood of the prophets and the blood of the saints and all who have been slain on the earth. And so that is why, brothers and sisters, we ought to rejoice. Because that shall be done away with. When Christ returns and destroys Babylon, it means the end of idolatry. That ought to cause you to rejoice. This world is bought into the idolatry of wealth 
and possessions and prosperity and power and honor, giving glory to these things. And all the while, they should have been giving glory to God. Right? They have failed to render true worship to the one true and living King. Right? They have replaced God in their hearts with what? With goods. Right? That is what they have done. And so as one commentator says, to, to focus on humanity as the center of everything and to forget God is the greatest of sin. Right? To focus on humanity as the center of everything and to forget God is the greatest sin. And so, brothers and sisters, this is the reason why we ought to rejoice. We ought to rejoice for when God comes to destroy Babylon, it is God and not man who shall be glorified. Right At that time and in that hour, the whole world will bow before the King. The whole world will recognize that He is sovereign and that it is He and He alone who is great and almighty indeed. We also, brothers and sisters, ought to rejoice then in the fact that when Babylon is destroyed, that all sin will be done away with as Jesus comes to establish the, the new heavens and the new earth. Are we seeing as we read about the kings and the merchants and the shipmasters that, that as they stood afar off and, and watched what was taking place, what, what did not happen, what we were not told, is that they repented at all. Right? As they watched what was going on, there was no repentance. And if, and if Christ gave them the opportunity, if He afforded them a little more time, they would go right back to doing what they were doing. Right? They would go right back to pursuing right, riches in this world, forsaking Christ. Why? Because that is what their hearts love. Right? That is what their, their heart is drawn to. But we know, brothers and sisters, that sin can have no part right, in the age to come. Sin can have no part within the walls of heavenly Zion. And so sin must be dealt with for God can have no fellowship with sin. For what does sin do? Right? Sin destroys Right? Sin breaks down. Sin is an affront to the holiness of God. And so all that stands opposed to God, right? all that stands opposed to His righteous kingdom must be destroyed and we should rejoice when it is. Right? Evil has never done anyone any good, has it? Right? Evil is only harmed. Right? Evil and sin have only caused men to kill one another and hate one another. This is the reason that the blood of the saints is being shed. And so here is one final reason why then we ought to rejoice when Babylon is destroyed. And it is this, that when Babylon is destroyed, when, when judgment comes upon it, the church shall no longer suffer. Right? The suffering of the, of the church shall then cease. Right? We see in our text here today then the, the cries of the saints under the, under the altar in Revelation chapter 6 now find their answer. Remember, they called out to God, O Lord, how long before You avenge the blood of the saints upon those who have shed our blood on the earth? And at that time, when the kings and the peoples of the nations afar off right, stand in fear and torment, brothers and sisters, that is when Your torment and My torment and the torment of the church shall cease. And so is that not a reason to rejoice? Right? Is that not a reason to, to praise the Lord? Is that not something that we ought to look forward to and long in anticipation for? Do you not long for peace in the presence of God forever? And think about what this message says to those especially in those distant lands who right now have to worship God without peace. 
in the sense that they're under the constant supervision of the government. They're under the threat of, of persecution and punishment and death for worshiping God. Right? Think about how much this message then consoles their souls right? to know one day that there's coming a time when they shall be able to worship God in peace. And so, brothers and sisters, we all ought to rejoice how glorious that day shall be when all of God's people will stand without worry and fear, openly and publicly, praising the Lord in glory. Right? Full of joy and gratitude and delight because of this very thing that He has done. And so this, brothers and sisters, is what we ought to look forward to by faith. Right? We will look forward to by faith. Remember, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Right? Faith is the conviction of things not yet seen. And yet what is not yet seen shall one day be seen. Because the judgment that will befall Babylon is not only certain, but it is permanent. And we shall see this. Look with me please at verse 21, for this imagery demonstrates this point. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon the great be, thrown down with violence and be found no more. This imagery I want us to see is, is modeled after the, the fall of Babylon. Right? This imagery is modeled after the fall of Babylon. Please flip over in your Bibles with me to Jeremiah chapter 51. Jeremiah chapter 51. And we'll look at the very end. Jeremiah 51. And we'll begin at verse 60. Again, keep in mind what we just read. Jeremiah 51. We'll start here in verse 60. Jeremiah wrote in a book all the disaster that should come upon Babylon. All these words that are written concerning Babylon. And Jeremiah said to Sariah, When you come to Babylon, see that you read all these words and say, O Lord, you have said concerning this place that you will cut it off so that nothing shall dwell in it, neither man nor beast, and it shall be desolate forever. When you finish reading this book, tie a stone to it. Cast it into the midst of the Euphrates and say, Thus shall Babylon sink to rise no more because of the disaster that I am bringing upon her and they shall become exhausted. Thus far the words of Jeremiah. And so we see, brothers and sisters, in our own text here that a day is coming when Babylon, that great and mighty city, the place in which people have, have cast all their hope upon, will one day be cut off not just made desolate, but utterly destroyed. right? Cast away into the sinking seas, never to be found again by God. And with this defeat, she shall never rise again, we're told. Right? She nor anyone who has loved her. This is what is kind of ironic as well. The fact that God is here we see repaying them the just recompense for what they have done to the church. right? I mean, think about it. Throughout the history of the church, what has the ungodly world sought to do? It has sought to make us no more. Right? It has sought to destroy the church. And now what is God going to do to the ungodly world? Right? He is going to make them no more. Right? 
He's going to like the like a great stone that is thrown into the sea that drops down to the bottom. It's no longer visible to the eyes, nor no longer can be found by man. Right? That is exactly what he says he's going to do to Babylon and all of its inhabitants. Right? All of her joys, everything that she delighted in will be no more. And in fact, what we also see is even God's common grace upon the ungodly world right now, that too shall be no more. We read about this in verse 23. That the light of the lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will be heard no more. Brothers and sisters, this is why it's so important to, to not put our trust in a collapsing hope that's going to ultimately bring you to a place of darkness that reigns forever. This is why we must place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ who is the Christian's abiding hope. And for those of us who, who have come to faith in Christ, there's a pronouncement of light that God has pronounced over us. Right? A, a blessing that God has given to us. If you recall, oftentimes at the end of the service in the benediction, right, we will quote Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 to 26. Right? There we have that pronouncing of God's blessing of light upon His people. Right? There we read, the, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious towards you and lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Brothers and sisters, may we find rest in the, in the grace of God and in the light of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who is the light of the world, who came into the world to redeem man. May you receive Him, but also may we see our need to, to cry out, to receive the gift of faith. Right? Because it is a gift that we must receive. As Jesus says when he, or excuse me, as John says in the opening chapter of, of the Gospel of John, that for those who received him and believed in his name, they were given the right to be called children of God, not by the will of man, right? Not by the will of the flesh, or not by blood, but by what? By the will of God. See, it is God who makes one a child of God. Right? It is God who, who takes someone from the domain of darkness and places them in the kingdom of light. And it is this one today that we proclaim. It is this one who is building His church right now here on earth. And it is He who will make sure that she will endure for what she is being prepared for. And brothers and sisters, let us rejoice that that is not eternal destruction like Babylon. But instead, it is everlasting life and eternal glory with the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for Your Word. It is food for the soul. It quenches the, the thirst of the saints. It consoles our hearts. It stops our anxiety and worry and fear as we read about uh, the certainty of events that shall take place. And Father, we just ask that You would continue to cause us to to look to the end, to look to the return of Christ by faith, that we might long for the day in which Christ returns. But until that day also, Lord, give us heart for the lost, that we might be praying for them, that we might be using our own lives as a, as a witness before others of the, the grace and mercy that can be found in Jesus. And so, Father, we come before You this morning asking all these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.